On Good Friday, the 30th of March, 1820, blood flowed from her head, feet, hands, chest, and side. It happened that when she fainted, one of the persons who were with her, knowing that the application of relics relieved her, placed near her feet a piece of linen in which some were wrapped, and the blood which came from her wounds reached this piece of linen after a time. In the evening, when the same piece of linen with the relics was being placed on her chest and shoulders, in which she was suffering much, she suddenly exclaimed, while in a state of ecstasy, It is most wonderful, but I see my heavenly spouse lying in the tomb in the earthly Jerusalem, and I also see him living in the heavenly Jerusalem, surrounded by adoring saints, and in the midst of these saints I see a person who is not a saint, a nun. Blood flows from her head, her side, her hands, and her feet, and the saints are above the bleeding parts. On the 9th of February, 1821, she fell into an ecstasy at the time of the funeral of a very holy priest. Blood flowed from her forehead, and the cross on her breast bled also. Someone asked her, What is the matter with you? She smiled and spoke like one awakening from a dream. We were by the side of the body. I have been accustomed lately to hear sacred music, and the De Profundis made a great impression upon me. She died upon the same day three years later. In 1821, a few weeks before Easter, she told us that it had been said to her during her prayer, Take notice, you will suffer on the real anniversary of the Passion, and not on the day marked this year in the ecclesiastical calendar. On Friday, the 30th of March, at 10 o'clock in the morning, she sank down senseless. Her face and bosom were bathed in blood, and her body appeared covered with bruises like what the blows of a whip would have inflicted. At 12 o'clock in the day, she stretched herself out in the form of a cross, and her arms were so extended as to be perfectly dislocated. A few minutes before 2 o'clock, drops of blood flowed from her feet and hands. On Good Friday, the 20th of April, she was simply in a state of quiet contemplation. This remarkable exception to the general rule seemed to be an effect of the providence of God, for at the hour when her wounds usually bled, a number of curious and ill-natured individuals came to see her with the intention of causing her fresh annoyances by publishing what they saw, but they thus were made unintentionally to contribute to her peace by saying that her wounds had ceased to bleed. On the 19th of February, 1822, she was again warned that she would suffer on the last Friday of March, and not on Good Friday. On Friday the 15th, and again on Friday the 29th, the cross on her bosom and the wound of her side bled. Before the 29th, she was more than once felt as though a stream of fire were flowing rapidly from her heart to her side and down her arms and legs to the stigmata, which looked red and inflamed. On the evening of Thursday the 28th, she fell into a state of contemplation on the Passion, 
and remained in it until Friday evening. Her chest, head, and side bled. All the veins of her hands were swollen, and there was a painful spot in the center of them, which felt damp, although blood did not flow from it. No blood flowed from the stigmata, excepting upon the 3rd of March, the day of the finding of the Holy Cross. She had also a vision of the discovery of the true cross by St. Helena, and imagined herself to be lying in the excavation near the cross. Much blood came in the morning from her head and side, and in the afternoon from her hands and feet, and it seemed to her as though she was being made the test of whether the cross was really the cross of Jesus Christ, and that her blood was testifying to its identity. In the year 1823, on Holy Thursday and Good Friday, which came on the 27th and 28th of March, she had visions of the Passion, during which blood froed from all her wounds, causing her intense pain. Amid these awful sufferings, although ravished in spirit, she was obliged to speak and give answers concerning all her little household affairs, as if she had been perfectly strong and well, and she never let fall a complaint, although nearly dying. This was the last time that her blood gave testimony to the reality of her union with the sufferings of him who has delivered himself up wholly and entirely for our salvation. Most of the phenomena of the ecstatic life which are shown us in the lives and writings of Saints Bridget, Gertrude, Matilda, Hildegard, Catherine of Siena, Catherine of Genoa, Catherine of Bologna, Columba d'Arieti, Ludwina of Shidam, Catherine Vanini, Teresa of Jesus, Anne of St. Bartholomew, Magdalene of Pazzi, Mary Vlana, Mary Bonomi, Marina de Escobar, Crescentia de Kaufbeuren, and many other nuns of contemplative orders are also to be found in the history of the interior life of Anne Catherine Emmerich. The same path was marked out for her by God. Did she, like these holy women, attain the end? God only knows. Our part is only to pray that such may have been the case, and we are allowed to hope it. Those among our readers who are not acquainted with the ecstatic life from the writings of those who have lived it will find information on this subject in the introduction of Goris to the writings of Henry Suso, published at Redisbon in 1829. Since many pious Christians, in order to render their life one perpetual act of adoration, endeavor to see in their daily employments a symbolical representation of some manner of honoring God, and offer it to him in union with the merits of Christ, it cannot appear extraordinary that those holy souls who pass from an active life to one of suffering and contemplation should sometimes see their spiritual labors under the form of those earthly occupations which formerly filled their days. Then their acts were prayers. Now their prayers are acts, but the form remains the same. It was thus that Anne Catherine, in her ecstatic life, beheld the series of her prayers for the church under the forms of parables, bearing reference to agriculture, gardening, weaving, sowing, or the care of sheep. 
All these different occupations were arranged according to their signification in the different periods of the common as well as the ecclesiastical year, and were pursued under the patronage and with the assistance of the saints of each day, the special graces of this corresponding feasts of the church being also applied to them. The signification of this circle of symbols had reference to all the active part of her interior life. One example will help to explain our meaning. When Anne Catherine, while yet a child, was employed in weeding, she besought God to root up the cockle from the field of the church. If her hands were stung by the nettles, or she was obliged to do afresh the work of idlers, she offered to God her pain and her fatigue, and besought him, in the name of Jesus Christ, that the pastor of souls might not become weary, and that none of them might cease to labor zealously and diligently. Thus her manual labor became a prayer. I will now give a corresponding example of her life of contemplation and ecstasy. She had been ill several times, and in a state of almost continual ecstasy, during which she often moaned and moved her hands like a person employed in weeding. She complained one morning that her hands and arms smarted and itched, and on examination they were found to be covered with blisters like what would have been produced by the stinging of nettles. She then begged several persons of her acquaintance to join their prayers to hers for a certain intention. The next day her hands were inflamed and painful, as they would have been after hard work, and when asked the cause, she replied, Ah, I have had so many nettles to root up in the vineyard, because those whose duty it was to do it only pulled off the stems and I was obliged to draw the roots with much difficulty out of a stony soil. The person who had asked her the question began to blame these careless workmen, but he felt much confused when she replied, You are one of them. Those who only pull off the stems of the nettles and leave the roots in the earth are persons who pray carelessly. It was afterwards discovered that she had been praying for several dioceses, which were shown to her under the figure of vineyards laid waste, and in which labor was needed. The real inflammation of her hands bore testimony to this symbolical rooting up of the nettles, and we have, perhaps, reason to hope that the churches shown to her under the appearance of vineyards experienced the good effects of her prayer and spiritual labor. For since the door is opened to those who knock, it must certainly be opened above all, to those who knock with such energy as to cause their fingers to be wounded. Similar reactions of the spirit upon the body are often found in the lives of persons subject to ecstasies, and are by no means contrary to faith. St. Paula, if we may believe St. Jerome, visited the holy places in spirit just as if she had visited them bodily. And a like thing happened to St. Columba of Rieti, and St. Lidwina of Shidam. The body of the latter bore traces of this spiritual journey as if she had really traveled. She experienced all the fatigue that a painful journey would cause. Her feet were wounded and covered with marks which looked as if they had been made by stones or thorns. And finally she had a sprain from which she long suffered. She was led on this journey by her guardian angel who told her that these corporal wounds signified that she had been ravished in body and spirit.
Similar hurts were also to be seen upon the body of Anne Catherine immediately after some of her visions. Ledwina began her ecstatic journey by following her good angel to the chapel of the Blessed Virgin before Shidam. And Catherine began hers by following her angel guardian either to the chapel which was near her dwelling or else to the way of the cross of Kosovo. Her journeys to the Holy Land were made, according to the accounts she gave of them, by the most opposite roads. Sometimes even she went all round the earth, when the task spiritually posed upon her required it. In the course of these journeys, from her home to the most distant countries, she carried assistance to many persons, exercising in their regard works of mercy, both corporal and spiritual, and this was done frequently in parables. At the end of a year, she would go over the same ground again, see the same persons, and give an account of their spiritual progress or of their relapse into sin. Every part of this labor always bore some reference to the church and to the kingdom of God upon earth. The end of these daily pilgrimages, which she made in spirit, was invariably the promised land, every part of which she examined in detail, and which she saw sometimes in its present state, and sometimes as it was at different periods of sacred history, for her distinguishing characteristic and special privilege was an intuitive knowledge of the history of the Old and New Testaments, and of that of the members of the Holy Family, and of all the saints whom she was contemplating in spirit. She saw the signification of all the festival days of the ecclesiastical year under both a devotional and an historical point of view. She saw and described day by day, with a minutest detail, and by name, places, persons, festivals, customs, and miracles, all that happened during the public life of Jesus until the ascension, and the history of the apostles for several weeks after the descent of the Holy Ghost. She regarded all her visions not as mere spiritual enjoyments, but as being, so to speak, fertile fields, plentifully strewn with the merits of Christ, which had not as yet been cultivated. She was often engaged in spirit, and praying that the fruit of such and such sufferings of our Lord might be given to the church, and she would beseech God to apply to his church the merits of our Savior, which were its inheritance, and of which she would, as it were, take possession in its name, with the most touching simplicity and ingenuousness. She never considered her visions to have any reference to her exterior Christian life, nor did she regard them as being of any historical value. Exteriorly she knew and believed nothing but the Catechism, the common history of the Bible, the Gospels for Sundays and festivals, and the Christian Almanac, which to her far-sighted vision was an inexhaustible mine of hidden riches since it gave her in a few pages a guiding thread which led her through all time, and by means of which she passed from mystery to mystery, and solemnized each with all the saints, in order to reap the fruits of eternity in time, and to preserve and distribute them in her pilgrimage around the ecclesiastical year, that so the will of God might be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. She had never read the Old or New Testaments, and she was when she was tired of relating her visions, she would sometimes say, read that in the Bible, and then be astonished to learn that it was not there. For, she would add, 
People are constantly saying in these days that you need read nothing but the Bible, which contains everything, etc., etc. The real task of her life was to suffer for the church and for some of its members, whose distress was shown her in spirit, or who asked her prayers without knowing that this poor sick nun had something more to do for them than to say the Paternoster, but that all their spiritual and corporal sufferings became her own, and that she had to endure patiently the most terrible pains without being assisted, like the contemplatives of former days, by the sympathizing prayers of an entire community. In the age when she lived, she had no other assistance than that of medicine. While thus enduring sufferings which she had taken upon herself for others, she often turned her thoughts to the corresponding sufferings of the church. And when thus suffering for one single person, she would likewise offer all she had endured for the whole church. The following is a remarkable instance of the sort. During several weeks she had every symptom of consumption, violent irritation of the lungs, excessive perspiration which soaked her whole bed, a racking cough, continual expectoration, and a strong continual fever. So fearful, so fearful were her sufferings that her death was hourly expected and even desired. It was remarked that she had to struggle strangely against a strong temptation to irritability. Did she yield for an instant, she burst into tears. Her sufferings increased tenfold, and she seemed unable to exist unless she immediately gained pardon in the sacrament of penance. She had also to combat a feeling of aversion to a certain person whom she had not seen for years. She was in despair because this person, with whom, nevertheless, she declared she had nothing in common, was always before her eyes in the most evil dispositions, and she wept bitterly and with much anxiety of conscience, saying that she would not commit sin, that her grief must be evident to all, and other things which were quite unintelligible to the persons listening to her. Her illness continued to increase, and she was thought to be on the point of death. At this moment, one of her friends saw her, to his great surprise, suddenly raise herself up on her bed and say, Repeat with me the prayers for those in their last agony. He did as requested, and she answered the litany in a firm voice. After some little time, the bell for the agonizing was heard. A person came in to ask Anne Catherine's prayers for his sister, who was just dead. And Catherine asked for details concerning her illness and death, as if deeply interested in the subject, and the friend above mentioned heard the account given by the newcomer of a consumption resembling in the minutest particulars the illness of Anne Catherine herself. The deceased woman had at first been in so much pain and so disturbed in mind that she seemed quite unable to prepare herself for death. But during the last fortnight she had been better, had made her peace with God, having in the first place been reconciled to a person with whom she was at enmity, and had died in peace, fortified by the last sacraments, and attended by her former enemy. Anne Catherine gave a small sum of money for the burial and funeral service of this person. Her sweatings, cough, and fever now left her, and she resembled a person exhausted with fatigue, whose linen has been changed, and who has been placed on a fresh bed. Her friend said to her, when this fearful illness came upon you, this woman grew better, and her hatred for another was the only obstacle to her making peace with God. You took upon yourself, for the time, 
her feelings of hatred. She died in good dispositions, and now you seem tolerably well again. Are you still suffering on her account? No, indeed, she replied. That would be most unreasonable. But how can any person avoid suffering when even the end of his little finger is in pain? We are all one body in Christ. By the goodness of God, said her friend, you are now once more somewhat at ease. Not for very long, though, she replied with a smile. There are other persons who want my assistance. Then she turned round on her bed and rested a while. A few days later, she began to feel intense pain in all her limbs, and symptoms of water on the chest manifested themselves. We discovered the sick person for whom Anne Catherine was suffering, and we saw that his suffering suddenly diminished or immensely increased in exact inverse proportion to those of Anne Catherine.